0: Good morning Parkway Church. Welcome uh, to another Sunday here in what we're calling the Parkway Living Room. I hope you're set up, you're, you're comfy and, and not just comfy but comfortable. I've been playing with this term in, in my head. Uh, Carol and I came up with this concept for small groups a little while ago. The concept that you've heard, or the term you've heard, church in the home. And that's really what uh, we wanted small groups to be, is the church in the home. But that's kind of evolved for me now into also church in the home, but at home in the church. Are you comfortable with your faith? Like Christ uh, calls us the church, we we are God's temple, not the building, but the people. And, and so are you comfortable with your faith? Are you at home in the church, in home in yourself, in your skin? Uh, but are you comfortable this morning in knowing that you are still part of God's family? That just because you've taken the Christians out of the church building doesn't mean you've affected anything. We're still a community that comes together, that prays, that believes, that that loves together, that uh, we are united by the Holy Spirit, whether by distance or in the same room, we are still connected. And so welcome and good morning. And uh, we're going to do this thing together. So uh, this morning, a, a couple announcements to, to start Um the April 19th vote, if you got the email, uh, you'll know that we have deferred that until our AGM, which will likely be the first weekend in June, um, providing we are allowed out of our homes at that point and able to gather. Uh, so as such, the April 5th questions, which would kind of be this morning, I'm not really going to answer any questions. We've deferred all of that until June because that's when the vote's going to be um, so we're going to just continue with what we're doing. And uh, with Easter, uh, unfortunately, we're not going to be here. That, that I think is a little more heartbreak in, in some ways. That's the big exciting point a lot of times in our year that we're going to get together uh, for Easter Sunday. We're going to do baptisms. It's one of my absolute favorite services of the year. Easter and Christmas, when we just really, we do family and we do it well where we do baptisms together. We have the kids doing something, the youth doing something, the adults singing. Like we are just together celebrating Jesus' birth twice in a year. So birth at Christmas as a baby, but rebirth again at Easter as he comes out of that grave three days later and, and we celebrate together. So we're working on something a little different. What you're going to find uh, throughout this week is that at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., there are going to be little devotional videos posted. Um, Becky and myself are, have put together kind of tracking through Holy Week, which is an older Christian tradition that leads up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. It starts with today being Palm Sunday. Uh, I'm sure some of you remember as kids just running around with those really sharp palm leaves smacking each other and getting told that's not what you do with them. Um, but the purpose of that, the, the purpose of the leaves was a remembrance of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, a triumphant. Uh, beginning of something, a celebration. And it's the beginning of the Passover meal. And so we're going to go through Holy Week with Holy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Sometimes it's called Spy Wednesday. Then you get Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday. Then you get Holy Friday or Good Friday and then Holy Saturday. And then we celebrate with Resurrection Sunday. So watch for those videos, pray with us, walk through this journey with us as we together remember the journey that Christ took um, in celebration, in honor of him, but also as he celebrated and honored us with his his death and his life again, um, because he cares so deeply for us, so I want to start today with just a little bit uh, of a reflection uh, that comes to us from N t Wright, and he talks about lament, and I, I think this is important because there are a lot of things that we are grieving right now with social distance we aren't able to come together for Easter. We aren't able to come together for the Greeley Players uh, event that happens every year. I have unfortunately canceled both our junior high and senior high retreats. There are so many things that people are grieving right now. I saw a video of, um, or sorry, a picture uh, of a, a girl in a window just excited to see her best friend from school bringing her present for her birthday to the front door and then leaving because they couldn't come together for a birthday party. There are so many things that we are grieving right now, and that is a healthy and normal thing, and our God grieves with us. So let me read these words from N.T. Wright, and then we'll, we'll go into a time of worship. So he says this, No doubt the usual silly suspects will tell us why God is doing this to us. A punishment, a warning, a sign. These are knee-jerk, would-be Christian reactions in a culture which generations back embraced rationalism. Everything must have an explanation. But supposing it doesn't. Supposing real human wisdom doesn't mean being able to string together some dodgy speculations and say, so that's all right then. What if after all there are moments such as T.S. Eliot recognized in the early 1940s when the only advice is to wait Without hope. Because we'd be hoping for the wrong thing. Rationalists, including Christian rationalists, want explanations. Romantics, including Christian romantics, want to be given a sigh of relief. But perhaps what we need more than either is to recover the biblical tradition of lament. Lament is what happens when people ask Why? And don't get an answer. It is where we get to when we move beyond our self-centered worry and our sins and failings and look more broadly at the suffering of the world. It's bad enough facing a pandemic in New York City or London. But what about a crowded refugee camp on a Greek island? What about Gaza or South Sudan? The point of lament woven thus into the fabric of the biblical tradition is not just that it's an outlet for our frustration or sorrow or loneliness and our sheer inability to understand what's happening or why. The mystery of the biblical story is that God also laments. Some Christians like to think of God as above it all, knowing everything, in charge of everything, calm and unaffected by the troubles of his world. That's not the picture we get in the Bible. God was grieved to his heart. Genesis declares over the violent wickedness of his human creatures. He was devastated when his own bride, the people of Israel, turned away from him. And when God came back to his people in person, the story of Jesus is meaningless unless that's what it's about. That God grieved. He wept at the tomb of his friend. St. Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit groaning within us as we ourselves groan within the pain of whole creation. The ancient doctrine of the Trinity teaches us to recognize the one God in the tears of Jesus and the anguish of the Spirit. It is no part of the Christian vocation then to be able to explain what's happening and why. In fact, it is part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. As the Spirit laments within us, so we become, even in our self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. And out of that, there can emerge new possibilities, new acts of kindness, new scientific understanding, new hope, new wisdom for our leaders even. Now there's a thought. So as we start this morning, don't be afraid of mourning. I know the English language makes things a little confusing that we have mourning and mourning, but... Lament is that time of mourning inside of us, to groan, to say, I don't understand God, and it hurts. And God says, I get it. I've been there, and I'm with you through all of this. So God, guide us this morning. Lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For some Christians, the week preceding Easter is known as Holy Week. It begins on Palm Sunday and is traditionally a week of somber reflection on the events preceding Jesus' death, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, his betrayal by Judas, his Last Supper with his 12 apostles, his arrest, crucifixion, and death, and his burial in a tomb. On Palm Sunday, Christians celebrate Jesus' procession into Jerusalem, which occurred several days before his death. And according to the Gospels, the people of Jerusalem spread branches from trees, identified specifically as palm, dry, palm branches in John's Gospel. On the road to welcome Jesus as he rode a donkey into the city. Because of this, many Christian churches today offer congregants palm fronds as they enter the church on Palm Sunday. And in some denominations, the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and of his death is read in church on that Sunday. Holy Week, I find, is a time of storytelling. It's remembering who Jesus was on this earth and speaking of who he is today today while anticipating who he will be upon his return. And so I want to start off Holy Week and end our series on growing through change by telling a story. Specifically the story of Peter. I've often heard people relate to Paul, or or different people relate to different biblical characters, and for for me, Peter is that guy. I see myself in him most often. So first off, his name was Simon or Simeon, depending on the dialect or translation you read. Jesus later names him uh, Cephas or Petros or, or Peter, known as Rock. And at which point this happens really varies in the gospel. Some of them, as soon as Jesus meets P- um, Simon Peter, he changes his name directly to Peter at that point. Later on, it happens down the road. But the point is, Jesus changed his name, called him something different. This is not unlike even myself being named Nathaniel, but them being called Nate. Different nicknames uh, we attribute to different people. And it, it just really helps us signify or understand them on a deeper level because you've named them something important to you. It's become a term of infection. And that's how Peter is, is known to Jesus and, through, and to us, really. Is, he's known as Rock. Not just Simon, but he's known as Rock. Now, in John or in other uh, Gospels, they just call him Peter. Sometimes it's Simon Peter. Sometimes it's Simon, son of John. Sometimes it's Peter. Like, he's got all these names. It's this fluid uh, understanding of, like, we're together as a family, and so we're going to call you all these different names because we know who you are and who you are to us. Now, he had a brother, Andrew, who's also an apostle. And and we know from Mark 1.30 that Peter was married because Jesus goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house because she's sick. We know he's a fisherman because that's where he's first called. and, And he's actually one of the first two disciples called, Peter and Andrew. Now, some gospels have them together and some have them that Andrew was out and then met Jesus and and brought Peter in later. And this is where we need to kind of look at a distinction of disciples versus apostles. Because disciple means follower and we really all are disciples. Another word you could use is apprentice. We're all learning under or learning from Jesus. While the term apostle means sent forth. And so while you can be an apostle and a disciple, you can't be a disciple and apostle. Those were very select few that Jesus set apart, and Peter was one of them. It's actually interesting to note that you don't hear the term apostle until after Acts 1, because up until that point, they were following Jesus. It's after their death, Jesus' death, that they become apostles. Apostles. Now, uh, Andrew for sure was, and there's a possibility that um, Peter was a previous disciple of John the Baptist. Different uh, gospels were counted a little differently, but John puts it this way in John 1, 35 to 37. It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God. Two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. These are John's disciples. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. This is the one the Jews were waiting for. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. You can see here, Peter already has a multitude of names in this one point of scripture. And to me, that just brings such a sense of familiarity. That it isn't one just direct title, but they're like, they have all these names because they're so common and together. What's interesting is the book of Mark may actually be the book of Peter as dictated by one of Peter's disciples, John Mark. Mark. Some theologians have said that if you look at the insights the writer of Mark has, they seem to be really first-hand accounts that maybe only Peter could have had. But we need to know and understand that Peter, uh, was not an educated man. Being a fisherman, he wasn't fluent in Greek or Jewish tradition. And so he wouldn't have been able to write his own gospel. I I want you to understand maybe that this isn't uncommon because I I think a lot of us could get caught up in the, it's named Mark, why would you say it's by Peter? Uh, A lot of Paul's letters, you can note, are dictated. That Paul wasn't able to write them himself, so someone else did it. Uh, Romans 16.22 says, I, Tertius, Tertius, uh, wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. The beginning of Romans says, I, Paul, and it talks about this introduction of Paul, but partway through, Tertius introduces himself. And it doesn't take away from the author. It just allows it to be written by someone who is better with language or writing. Peter is probably the most relatable character in the New Testament for me because he is loyal, honorable, and just a ridiculous mess. It's really interesting that he rebukes Jesus. Like he just takes him aside and says, you're wrong. And this is moments after declaring that Jesus is the son of God. Uh, Matthew sixteen thirteen to 16, followed by 21 to 23, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now as we skip forward, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this shall ever happen to you. Peter just said, you are the son of God. You are God on earth. You are the Messiah, the one we are waiting for, which signifies that you are above everything, that you have a plan. You have intention and purpose what's going on. And, and then four verses later, he turns to him and says, oh no, this is not going to happen. What you say is happening, I won't let it happen. And, and, and Jesus just has to turn to him and, and says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. And honestly, that I identify with that so often that I can be like, God, uh, I know you sent Jesus and I want to follow you and that this is, you have a plan and a purpose for this world and your kingdom and I want to be a part of that. But then moments later I can be like, well, not that way. We're going to do it a different way. I think I understand it a little better. And I think you can relate to that as well, that so many of us do that. We say we want to follow God, but then we interject our own plans and we can see Peter just declaring. And then all of a sudden being like, no, God, I got this. I love that he also gets so ambitious that he cuts off an ear of someone just to have Jesus put it back on. And in Luke 22, it, it says this, And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. John 18 notes that this is Peter. It says, John 18, 10 to 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Why that's noted? I don't know, but John felt it important to be like, this is the guy that Peter cut the ear off of. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus' is like, Peter, Dude, we already talked about this. Put the sword away. Am I not to follow and do what God has set before me? That is why I'm here. That's why I said to you already, get behind me, Satan, you're a a hindrance. Like, come on, Peter, get with the program. And again, I I can imagine myself doing that. I think many of us could. Like, if you saw Jesus here, you recognized that he was a man and a person beside you, and you saw someone coming to attack him, Isn't your first reaction to defend him? I think we do that more often than we realize. And and Jesus is like, slow your roll. Back down a bit. You're getting more excited because I have a plan and a purpose. And if I can't be that sacrificial lamb, if I can't go to the cross, I can't do what I came here to do. And I think that's really a hard pill to swallow. I think it was a really hard pill for Peter to wrap his mind around, even though it says that Jesus was continually telling them that he would die, that he had to be broken down, but then he would be rebuilt, reborn, that he is the temple that could be restored and rebuilt in three days. And Peter is living with Jesus, and yet he still says, like, I got to protect you. You don't realize what you're saying, what you're doing. One of my favorite stories is after the resurrection, that Peter jumps out of a boat, after putting his clothes back on. It's it's not that he's stripped down to go swimming. It's that he's like, look, there's Jesus, puts his clothes back on and then dives in the water. John 21 recounts it. It says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. This is a man who knew he wanted Jesus. He knew he wanted Jesus in his life and would get there by any means, whether he understood what he was doing or not. Like, get that. He just, Peter just doesn't really know what he's doing. He just knows he wants Jesus in his life. So he's going to be like, Jesus, you're doing it wrong. I got to keep you around. He's going to be like, Jesus, I'm going to take this guy down by the ear somehow and, and just send them a message. And Jesus is like, no, you're doing it wrong. And then Peter's like, I'm getting to you clothes on and all because I don't know why, but I'm not going to help these guys with the boat. He just knew he needed more Jesus. But at the time of Jesus' arrest, Peter's humanity got the best of him. Fear took hold of him. Change was happening and he was not comfortable or ready for it. The story of Peter is one where you really see growth through change, not that he wanted it, expected it, or is willing to be a part of it, but he did grow. He did develop. John 18 says this, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. So now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, "You are also not one of disciples. Aren't you?" And he denied it and said, "I am not." And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man, relative of the man whose ear had been, Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. This passage shows Peter wanting to see what's happening. I need to be as close to Jesus as I can. I'm going to sneak in, get as close to the temple as they're trying him, get in with the high priest to see what's going on because I want to be with Jesus. But at the same time, he doesn't know what he's doing because when he's fearful, when his humanity kicks in, he's like, I don't know him. I'm not that guy. That's not me. And I really want to note that in growing through change, we overreact. We make mistakes. We're foolish. But Jesus. I love that. Anytime you say but, it really neg- it, it, it neglects or, 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 or takes apart what was said before. If I say I'm hungry, but it means I'm not really hungry. But when, when you throw Jesus in there, it changes the story in the most beautiful way. So when we, uh, grow through change, we overreact, we make mistakes, we're foolish. But Jesus, yet Jesus redeems us because he sees our potential and because he is the one who calls us. As we continue in the story of Peter in the book of John, we hit chapter 21. And this is after the resurrection. After Jesus has already shown himself to the the apostles as they waited, as he just came through the door and said, I'm here. Peter has seen him and yet his first reaction is to go fishing. He's just like, I'm done. I don't know what to do. So I'm going to go back to what's normal for me. I'm just going to go back fishing. And when they're fishing... Peter sees Jesus on the shore, dives in with all those clothes, and we get to this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him, this is Jesus, the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had to say it to him three times. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. This was speaking of Peter's future. But after saying that, Jesus said to him, follow me. Nobody likes life change. It's hard. It makes us move out of comfort zones, form new relationships and routines. It takes away the known and really thrusts us into the unknown. The story of Peter is an incredible example of growth through change. Verses before Jesus calls Peter to take care of his sheep, Peter is intent on returning to his normal. Remember that. He went back to fishing. He tried to return to normal. After all the time spent with Jesus, after all the miracles, the excitement, the heartache, after seeing Jesus uh, revealed post-crucifixion, Peter just wanted to get back to his normal. John 21, again. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and he revealed himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Change is hard. Yet Jesus is patient, forgiving and loving. Let Peter's story be an example to us that no matter the circumstances or the setback, when we are focused on Jesus There is redemption in the end. Peter denied Jesus three times. And yet three times Jesus asked, do you love me? If you do, take care of my sheep, my lambs, my children, my people. From that moment, Peter changed. And I love Jesus' last statement, follow me. And life and death and resurrection follow me. That's the story of Peter, a man full of humanity and an abundant love for Jesus, trying to get there as fast as he can. Take this moment as a time of reflection as Becky plays a song. Let it speak to you. Let these words speak to your heart, knowing that even in your humanity, in your foolishness, Jesus is patient. Jesus is full of redemption because he wants to be with you just as much as you want to be with him. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go there to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there by her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. The prophet. The crowds then went ahead of them, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to, uh, to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. On the heels of Palm Sunday, we begin this Holy Week. May we constantly be reminded of its significance and value for our lives today. That very important day in history when Jesus began his journey towards the cross. His word reveals such great truths in every part of the story. Truths that draw us closer to Christ, reminding us that he alone is king. So on this Palm Sunday, I want to give you five things that remind us Christ is king. One, God's word tells us the people to cut palm branches or that the people cut palm branches and wave them in the air, laid them on the ground before Jesus as he rode into the city. The palm branch represented goodness and victory and it was a, a, sim, a symbolic of the final victory that Jesus would soon fulfill over death. 1 Corinthians 15:55 says this, O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? We celebrate that Jesus has defeated death. That is not final. Two, Jesus rode, uh, chose to ride in on a donkey, which directly fulfilled Old Testament prophecy of Zechariah, Zacchae- man, sorry, nine nine. In biblical times, it was common for kings or important people to arrive by procession riding on a donkey, because the donkey symbolized peace. So those who chose to ride them show that they came with peaceful intentions. Jesus even then reminded us that he is the prince of peace. Zechariah nine, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Three, when the people shouted Hosanna, they were hailing Christ as king. The word actually means save now. And though in their own minds they waited for an earthly king, God had a different way in mind of bringing true salvation to all who would trust in him. Psalm 118 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the Bible says that Jesus wept for Jerusalem. At the midst of praise of the moment, he knew in his heart that it wouldn't be long that these same people would turn their backs on him, betray him and crucify him. His heart broke with the reality of how much they needed a savior. Luke 19 says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had it only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And the fifth thing that reminds us that Jesus is king, is Palm Sunday reminds us that the reign of Christ is far greater than any the mind of man could ever conceive or plan. Man looked for someone to fight their battles in the present day world, yet God had the ultimate plan of sending his son to fight the final battle over death. This is the greatness of why we celebrate the week. Because of Christ's ultimate sacrifice, we can be set free of death. Jesus said to her, and this is John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. We have so much to be grateful for this week. The enemy knows that. The enemy knows that. And you can bet he is going to do everything he can try, he can do to try and distract us away from the true meaning of what this Holy Week means. Don't let him win. In this Holy Week, may God direct our thoughts and attention towards what matters most. Jesus Christ our king. Second Corinthians 9.15 says this, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Pope Francis said this in his homily, May we have an anchor by his cross we have been saved. We have a rudder By his cross, we have been saved. We have a hope. By his cross, we've been healed and embraced so that nothing and no one can separate us from his redeeming love. Father, we thank you for this day. Oh, Lord, our God. Jesus in the heavens, the spirit with us on earth. Oh, Lord, our God. Amen. We thank you for joining us, uh, for being a part of our family and letting us be a part of yours. Um, I want to remind you that after this, Pastor Mike is going to be up with Monkey Barrel Kids and having a program for them. Remind you again that there is no uh, vote on April 19th. We've moved that. And um, thank you for engaging with us online. Please continue to submit. If you have any prayer requests, um, we'd love to be able to pray with you. And so, with that in mind, I want to end today by praying for the Williamson family. Knowing that a grandfather is in the hospital with COVID. This is a reality for us, that there are going to be those of us that are directly affected by this. While we may think quarantine or social distancing can be an overreaction, there are still those that are going to get hurt. And so our heart goes out to them. So I ask if you would now bow with me as I pray. Father, we ask that you reach out into this world. Father, that you stand in the way of this disease, this virus. God, we ask that you speak over families that are hurting and broken and feeling so torn apart. Father, I spoke this morning of lament, that you wept before you entered Jerusalem, that you wept for your people and your heart has been broken as we have turned away. And Father, we are seeing people turn now to you in ways that they haven't done before or in so long. So we ask that your spirit is so present and moving in our lives, that there is hope placed upon us, that there's a measure of faith placed upon us, that, God, you are guiding and leading, that our eyes and our hearts are turned to you, that we are more attuned to your presence and what you're saying and doing. And, Father, we ask for your healing. Your miracle doing what we cannot do, going beyond what we are capable of seeing, of saying, of of, of touching. Speak into the Williamson family. Speak into their brokenness, their fear. God. Lord our God so intimate and real. Be with us and guide us. In your gracious and holy name we pray. Amen. We love you. We miss you. We can't wait to be with you again. But until then, we'll continue to meet you here. Make sure you stay tuned this week for um, the Holy Week moments of prayer and reflection. Have a great week, guys.